Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Find hidden clues and uncover a murder mystery. Solve mind-teasing mysteries of the Roaring Twenties. Engage your sense of observation to find hidden clues. Search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris and uncover a collection of dazzling hidden object spectacles for you to solve. We're all here because we love true crime, right? Well, this game has the perfect twists and turns to keep your brain asking, what happened here? There's nothing I love more than getting to decorate my very own luxurious state island. The best part? You can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Amara, and this is Black Girl Gone, a true crime podcast. On this episode of Black Girl Gone, I tell the story of the Curia family, who were found beaten to death on August 1st, 2007, in Powder Springs, Georgia. Jane Curia and her three children had migrated to the United States just six years before in search of a better life. But on August 1st, 2007, after no one had heard from the family for two days, Jane Her daughters, 19-year-old Isabel and 16-year-old Annabelle, were all found dead. Jeremy, Jane's 7-year-old son, and their 11-year-old cousin, who had been visiting, were also badly beaten, but managed to survive. No one can understand how someone could do this to Jane and her children. But 16 years after the murder, there are still more questions than answers. Who killed the Curia family? And why? This is the Curia family's story. This week's story involves the murder of three people and the attempted murder of two others. And the entire family was brutally attacked in an otherwise safe community in Powder Springs, Georgia. There are a lot of unanswered questions about what happened to this family that day, And the person who committed these heinous murders has not been caught. How could someone do this to an entire family and never be caught? After 16 years, the people who knew and loved the Curia family have never forgotten what happened to them. And they want the person or people responsible to be caught. Jane Curia's story began in Kenya, where she was born and raised, But in 2001, Jane and her three children, Isabel, Annabelle, and Jeremy, relocated to the United States, where they sought asylum after the death of Jane's husband. According to reports, he had died from pneumonia, 
And after his death, Jane came to the United States and in her application for asylum, stated that she could not go back to Kenya out of fear that she and her children would be killed because of her objection to female circumcision. The Curia family arrived in Boston in 2001, but in 2002, they moved to the small city of Powder Springs, Georgia. Powder Springs is located about a half hour from Atlanta in Cobb County. Losing your husband, suddenly becoming a single mother, and now living in a new country would be a lot for any woman to handle. But according to people who knew Jane, she was a strong person who was determined to give her children a better life. In an interview with Unsolved Mysteries, her cousin Diana said that Jane was an awesome mother, and she did everything she could for her children. She made sure that they were at school on time, that their homework was done, and that they got good grades. It was important that her children succeed, and she wanted to make sure that they were able to take advantage of the opportunities in front of them. Her cousin said that Jane was strict, but she also knew how to loosen up and let her hair down. She was described as bubbly and the life of the party, but she was also very outspoken and wasn't afraid to tell you exactly how she felt. After their move to Powder Springs, the family moved into a house on a quiet street. The children enrolled in the local school, and Jane began working as a nurse at a local nursing home. After such a huge change in their lives, it seemed as if everything for this family was going well. Both Isabel and Annabelle had adjusted well to life in America, and they were loving big sisters to their younger brother Jeremy. The family said that the girls would spoil him and give him pretty much anything he wanted. As a family, the Curias attended church regularly, and Annabelle even began volunteering there. In the years following their move to Georgia, the Curia family had settled in really nicely into their new lives and community. Jane's cousin said that over the years, she had become really good friends with the seniors at the nursing home, and Jane was a valued member of the staff there. By 2007, Isabel the oldest was 19 and had graduated from high school and had decided that she wanted to become a pharmacist, and so she was in school in Chattanooga. Annabelle, who was 16, was a sophomore in high school, and Jeremy, who was 7, was attending the local elementary school. The Curia family had lived a quiet, uneventful life in Powder Springs. They had no way to anticipate the events that would take place later that summer, and neither did anyone else who knew them. In the summer of 2007, the children were enjoying their break from school. Isabel was home from school also. That summer, Jane's cousin, Pauline, who had also been living in Georgia, had her son visiting her. Peter, who was 11 at the time, was still living in Kenya, but had come to the United States that summer to spend time with his mom and other family that was there. Since Peter and Jeremy were close in age, Pauline decided to drop her son off at the curious home so the boys could play together. On June 29, 2007, Pauline dropped Peter off at the curious. He and Jeremy, according to reporting, had spent the entire day playing outside. It's not clear the last time anyone spoke to Jane or her daughters after Peter dropped them off, but the next day, July 30th, 2007, when Pauline tried to call Jane to check on Peter, she didn't get an answer. After trying a few times and still not getting an answer, 
Pauline started to worry because it wasn't like Jane or the girls to not answer the phone. Pauline's older son, Owen, was also living in Georgia with his mom, and so she sent him over to the curious home to check on them. According to 11 Alive News, when Owen arrived at the house, he saw Jane's black Toyota parked in the driveway. Owen said that he knocked on the door, but he didn't get an answer. He said he then looked through the side window next to the door, but he didn't see anything. Owen said that he figured that since Jane's car was in the driveway, that someone had picked the family up and took them out, and so he left. But on August 1st, 2007, when Pauline woke up and again tried to contact Jane and Peter, there was still no answer at the Curia home. Diana, Jane's cousin, who was living next door to Pauline, who was her aunt, told Unsolved Mysteries that Pauline knocked on her door at around 9.45 that morning. Diane said Pauline asked her if she could take her over to Jane's house. She told Diana that Owen had gone over there, but no one had answered the door or the phone since Monday. Diana said that she and Pauline then got in her car and made the 15-minute drive over to the Curia house. When they arrive, they see Jane's car parked in the driveway. Diana said that her Aunt Pauline was really worried at that point. Diana said that Pauline was talking really fast and was in a complete panic as they got out of the car to walk to the house. Quote, we got out of the car and she was worried. My aunt was like, yeah, I don't know what's going on. It's so unlike her. You know, I have my child over there. I don't know. I haven't spoken to him. Diana told Eleven Alive. Neither she or her aunt had any idea what was going on, but it was clear that Pauline felt like something was very wrong. Her son Peter had only been in the United States for two days, and so the fact that he was at Jane's house and no one had heard from anyone at the house in almost three days was extremely concerning. Diana said that she told Pauline to go up the front stairs and knock on the door while she ran around to check the bag. When Pauline tried to open the door, it was locked, and so she followed her niece around to the back of the house. Diana said that as she went up the stairs of the back deck, she could see that the sliding glass door that led to the kitchen was open. Diana said that she figured she would find Jane in the kitchen making breakfast, but when Diana slid the door back and entered the house, she said it was dark and eerily quiet. The only light was coming from the TV that had cartoons on it. Diana said that she started calling out to her family, but no one responded to their name being called. And so Diana went further into the house, and that's when she saw blood. She said there was blood on the floor and blood on the walls. And then she noticed a body lying on the floor. Diana said that she yelled to her aunt to go back down the stairs, and Pauline started yelling at Diana, asking her to tell her what was going on. Diana said she told her aunt that she saw blood and a body on the floor. Diana said that Pauline started screaming. She took her aunt's phone and called 911 to report what she had just found, and within minutes, police and paramedics from Powder Springs began arriving at the Curia house. When police were called, they were only sure that there was one victim in the house. But 
Once they arrived and entered the home, they realized that this was a way bigger situation than they had ever imagined. Diana said that when the police and paramedics went inside the home, she could see one of the officers standing at the door. Quote, All of a sudden, I see a first responder stick out his hand, and he puts five fingers up in the air, and then he puts up two, and then he puts up three. And I asked the officer, like, what does that mean? And he told me, did you see an ambulance leave? And I said, yeah. And a chopper? And I said, yeah. That's the two survivors. And I said, what about the three? What happened to the three? And he said, they didn't make it. Diana said in her interview with Unsolved Mysteries. But at first, Diana and Pauline had no idea which three family members of theirs had been murdered. And Pauline didn't know if her son was alive or dead. Quote, we need to know. We need to call everybody. We need to gather everybody. We need to call the family because it's not just my aunt's son who's in there. All of these are our cousins to us. We need to let everybody know what's going on. Diana told Eleven Alive, she said to police that night. She said that her aunt began calling everyone in their family to let them know what was going on. And she and Diana were taken to the Powder Springs police station so they could be interviewed. Once there, they learned what police had found inside the house. Jane, Isabel, and Annabelle had all been found dead. The two boys, Jeremy and Peter, had survived but had been severely injured and were clinging to life. The lead detective on the case said that when he arrived on the scene and entered the Curia home, he was immediately struck by how brutal and bloody this crime scene was. In the kitchen, Jane was found with blood splatter on the walls and blood smeared all over the floor. He could tell that Jane had been beaten to death, but she had not gone down easily. And from the scene, the detective could tell that Jane had fought for her life. But whoever had done this to Jane wanted to make sure that she was dead because, according to the detective, it was overkill. The beating was beyond what it would have taken to kill Jane. And so that let the detective know that whoever had done this had been in an uncontrollable rage. The next body that the detective could see was that of 19-year-old Isabel. Like her mom, she too had been beaten to death and had blood force injuries to her body. The detective said that unlike her mom, Isabel never saw the attack coming. He theorized that she had come up the stairs when she was attacked and then beaten until she died at the bottom of the stairs where she was found. Annabelle, the third victim, was found just a short distance from her sister down the hallway. She had also been beaten to death and, like her sister, had likely never seen it coming. A few feet from where Annabelle was found, inside the bedroom, the two boys were found. Both boys had been in bed when they were attacked, and they had been beaten with the same instrument used in the murders, but were able to miraculously survive. Investigators believe that because they were in bed, that the pillow had absorbed the force of some of the blows. Jeremy had to be airlifted to the Atlanta Children's Hospital, where he underwent surgery. Peter's injuries were less severe, and so he was driven by ambulance, but both Peter and Jeremy had sustained life-threatening injuries, and 
Their families were afraid that they could still die from their injuries. But there was also another issue. There was concern that once word got out that Jeremy and Peter had survived, that whoever had done this would come back and finish the job. And so the boys were both closely guarded by police while the investigation into this crime began. Three people had been beaten to death, and two children had been left clinging to life. The murders and beatings were brutal and shocking. It had been three years since there had been a murder in Powder Springs, and now there were three. No one had any idea why someone would want to kill Jane, let alone her three children and little cousin who had just been there to visit. It didn't make any sense. Why would someone do this? This was a question that the curious family would be asking for years to come. Right now, we'd like to thank the sponsor of this episode, Life MD. Are you looking to lose weight and improve your health? Well, you're not alone. But without the right resources and support, the path to better health can be challenging to say the least. The good news is LifeMD can help. As one of the world's leading online healthcare providers, LifeMD takes the hassle, expense, and guesswork out of reaching your weight loss goals. Its comprehensive weight management program combines access to breakthrough GLP-1 medications with coaching and metabolic testing to help patients on their journey to lose weight and maintain their results long-term. Visit lifemd.com slash girlgone to start your weight loss journey today. LifeMD's weight management program gives qualifying patients access to GLP-1 medications like Wegovy. These groundbreaking drugs improve metabolic function, regulate digestion, and suppress appetite to help you feel fuller longer. And the results are astonishing. In studies, GLP-1 drugs have been shown to help patients lose on average 15% of their body weight. Now, as you may already know, the process of losing weight and keeping it off can feel daunting, especially if you've had trouble in the past. The good news is LifeMD is here for you every step of the way. As a patient, you can schedule online one-on-one sessions with a licensed healthcare provider who will help you create a healthy eating plan, monitor your progress, and make choices that align with your goals. And rest assured, With LifeMD, losing weight doesn't need to break the bank. They'll help you maximize your insurance coverage to make medication as affordable as possible. If you're not satisfied for any reason, you can cancel at any time. LifeMD's comprehensive weight management program has everything you need to succeed. Your journey begins with a virtual assessment that includes blood work, a health assessment, and a video call with a licensed clinician. They even offer mobile lab collection service for people who prefer to get blood work done at home. Then your clinician will create your custom weight loss plan and, if appropriate, prescribe a medication that can help you reach your goals. And that's not all. LifeMD's online patient portal and user-friendly app makes it easy to communicate with your care team when you need guidance and support. With the right resources and support, Losing weight doesn't need to feel like an uphill battle. Embrace your journey towards a healthier, happier you and achieve lasting, sustainable weight loss with LifeMD by your side. Visit lifemd.com slash girlgone to get started so you can enjoy a brighter tomorrow. 
That's lifemd.com slash girlgone. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. On August 1st, 2007, the bodies of Jane Curia and her two daughters, Isabel and Annabelle, were found beaten to death inside their Powder Springs, Georgia home. Jane's son, Jeremy, and their cousin, Peter, had also been attacked, but managed to survive. But now police had to find their killer and a motive. While Jeremy and Peter recovered from their injuries in the hospital, investigators had begun trying to piece together what had happened to this family. Investigators determined that the attacks on the Curia family had taken place at least 30 hours before their bodies were found. Through phone records, they were able to determine that at around midnight on the 31st, Isabel had responded to an email. And then, according to police, Jane received a call at around 3.30 a.m. that went unanswered. This told detectives that the murders likely took place between those hours. The late hour would also provide a cover for the killer because most of the neighbors nearby would likely be asleep. At the scene, there was no sign of Four Century, which was an indication to detectives that perhaps Jane had let the killer in unknowingly. The scene in the kitchen led them to theorize that someone had been sitting at the table with Jane at least for a little while before the attack. Since there was nothing in the home that matched a description of what was believed to be the murder weapon, detectives believed that the killer had likely brought it with them, a sign that this was premeditated. Detectives searched for and collected fingerprints and DNA from the scene. They hoped that with an attack this brutal that the killer had left behind their own blood. But investigators were not able to identify any blood other than the victims, and the fingerprints that they collected matched the Courier family or people who had a reason to be in the house. One of the things that the lead detective found the most suspicious about the scene was the lack of blood transfer. Quote, The odd thing about what I saw that day is there wasn't a transfer from one scene to the next. And I literally say this because of the four crime scenes. The blood from the kitchen didn't drip, shoe print, smear, or otherwise move to the crime scene that Isabel was contained within. And the crime scene that Isabel was contained in didn't move toward the scene where Annabelle was down the hallway. There's no continuation of blood from one to the next. And that is very odd, he told Unsolved Mysteries. And there was also no blood outside of the house. None on the deck or the grass below. And it was baffling for police who could not understand how the killer escaped this bloody scene without leaving a trace of DNA behind. After not getting much evidence from the crime scene, detectives turned to the curious family and friends to try to find out who would want to kill them. The night of the murders, the lead detective working the case said that he went and met with about 30 of the curious family members and friends who had gathered after the murders. The detective said that he had gone to make himself available to anyone who wanted to talk, but he also wanted to see who was there and see if there was anyone acting suspicious. While he was there, 
The detective was approached by a man named Patrick, who had gone to the same church as the Curia family. He told the detective that they needed to look into a gang that operated out of Kenya for these murders. The gang, often referred to as the Kenyan Mafia, was known for killing and assaulting their political enemies. And Patrick told the detective that Jane told him they had killed her husband. What Patrick told the detective was intriguing, and so he wanted to look into it further. Patrick was a fellow member of the church that they went to, but he had also developed a friendship with the family. Annabelle would babysit his sons for him from time to time, and he would come over and mow the lawn for Jane. According to Patrick, who was married, he and Jane were just friends, but Patrick had injected himself into this investigation, and after police looked into his story, he started to raise their suspicions. After doing some digging, detectives discovered that the gang Patrick had referred to was a real gang, but they had a hard time believing that they had the ability or desire to come all the way to the United States to commit a murder. They had also obtained a copy of Jane's husband's death certificate, which showed that he had died of natural causes. Detectives had started to believe that, for whatever reason, Patrick had sent them on a wild goose chase. As part of the investigation, detectives had obtained copies of Jane's phone records. The detective said that he didn't just want the calls for the day of the murder, he had asked for the 30 days prior to the murder also. And he discovered that every single day, Jane and Patrick would speak on the phone multiple times a day. From July 1st until the 31st, 10 to 12 times a day, Jane and Patrick called each other back and forth. Jane and Patrick, being more than friends, would not have been that big of a deal, except for the fact that Patrick was married. And so, detectives contacted him and asked him to come in and answer some questions. Detectives asked Patrick about his whereabouts the night of the murder, and he said he was home alone with his children. They asked Patrick about the calls back and forth between him and Jane, and he insisted that despite the way it looked, he and Jane were just friends. But for at least the previous 30 days prior to the murders, they had spoken every day. He called her every day. But on the 31st, there was no call from Patrick to Jane. The detectives asked Patrick why he didn't call Jane on the 31st, but he didn't offer a reason. He told the detectives that he didn't know why. Patrick had become a person of interest for investigators, but they had no evidence that directly connected him to these murders and the assaults. Patrick, for the most part, had been cooperative with detectives. They interviewed him at least four times, and he gave them DNA, fingerprints, and a hair sample. But without anything to compare it to, it was basically useless. A week after the attack, Peter regained consciousness. Jeremy, however, remained in a coma for several weeks. But after the boys had recovered enough to speak to the detectives, they were interviewed. Jeremy, however, could not remember anything, and Peter, who had some recollection of that night, had not been able to provide a physical description of the suspect, and because of his injuries, had been inconsistent in his memory of events. Detectives working the case continued to search for evidence, but there was very little evidence and no leads. 
And as the months went on, detectives were getting further and further away from finding the truth. Jane, Isabel, and Annabelle were flown back to Kenya where they were buried together. But Jeremy, who was still in the hospital, was unable to go. When Jane's family returned back to the United States, they found out that another relative of Jane's named Elizabeth had, without their knowledge, removed their names from all of Jeremy's documents and taken over full custody of the child. They say that Jeremy was moved back to Kenya and Elizabeth isolated him from them. They only got to see Jeremy once or twice a year. After gaining custody of Jeremy, the family member then sold Jane's house and car, and the money was supposed to go into a trust for Jeremy. But Jeremy, however, later said that he never received any of the money, and he said that Elizabeth never really treated him like a mom would. In the years after the attack, Jeremy and Peter both tried to live a normal life, but they were haunted by what happened to them and their family. It's now been 16 years since Jane, Isabel, and Annabelle were murdered, and this case is now cold. The question that existed on August 1st, 2007, when their bodies were found, still exists today. It's hard to imagine that a murder like this could happen, and the person or people responsible are still free. This family did not deserve to be beaten to death. They came to the U.S. for a better life. Jane came here to protect her children. And six years later, they were murdered. The people that were left behind and who were the most affected by this tragedy deserve to have some closure to this unthinkable situation. If anyone out there has any information about these murders, you can help bring this part of this story to an end and help bring those responsible to justice. Jane, Isabel, and Annabelle Curia were found beaten to death in their home in Powder Springs, Georgia on August 1st, 2007. Jane's son and cousin were also beaten, but they survived. If you have any information about these murders, please contact the Powder Springs Police Department. May Jane, Isabel, and Annabelle rest in peace. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and Threads. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.